yourself. That's me. I tell you what, you get to experience something that very few of my friends ever get to experience. Which is what? Me being late. <laughs> oh. Well, I think it's just a it's just a statistical thing, you know. Well, but it's statistically anomalous that it all happens to you. Uh, no, I don't think so because we have to meet so many times, you know? Oh, yeah. I guess you're right. We meet so much. We meet so much. And yet so little. You probably have to schedule with me times to meet more than anyone else in your life. Yeah, Binya would be the only competitor. Yeah, there you go. Oh, you got a dog next to you, too. I got a dog next to me. Yes, here's the baby. Oh, beautiful. Michael. Yes. How are you today? How are you this fine morning? How am I? I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm a little hungry. Grunge Girl went to our local cafe to pick up some cafe sandwiches. Oh, there's not much better than a cafe sandwich on a cozy morning in. Uh, yeah, yeah. Grunge Girl has a cafe sandwich problem, I think, personally. <laughs> yeah. What, just like spends too much on cafe sandwiches? I don't know about spends too much. I'm a little miser, so. Right. I don't feel like I a have Jew. the right. I didn't say that. You did. <laughs> but you are a little Jew. I'm a big Jew. Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay, whatever you say, Michael. Yeah, you're very big. You're a very big Jew. I'm very big, but I don't have the perspective necessary to evaluate like how appropriate it is to go to cafes because I don't know how to properly set aside time for joy in my life. So mm -hmm, it's hard for me to right. judge. You know what I mean? Right, I know exactly what you mean. So it's like, I don't know, they get their nails done a lot, but wow, I wouldn't do that. But also, I'm miserable, so... So what do you know? What do I know? I don't know, who do you think is the person who's the most well-balanced when it comes to self-indulgence? I don't know. I feel like I've been living a particularly indulgent life recently, and it's been working out pretty good. Okay, so you, so you think you have it? You have the right. I don't know if I have it figured out. I think I may have swung a little too far to the indulgence side of the spectrum after a long time on the uh, austerity side of the spectrum. But yeah, I mean, I guess that's my only insight. Is like I frequently don't let myself have nice things for a variety of anxiety-related reasons. Mm -hmm. And usually, what happens is eventually the rubber band snaps, and then I like go the complete opposite direction for a little while and indulge in every pleasure under the sun. So you've been like that for a while. Yeah, that's a that's a long, long-term habit in my life. I mean, it's been set up since day one. You know, I grew up in such a restrictive household that as soon as I got kicked out of the house, I immediately snapped towards indulgence, which led to a lot of trouble in my life which led to me having to become incredibly austere with myself to survive. And then like the cycle was just set up like basically from the day I became like an adult human being, I was sort of like given this uh, inertia. I think we both struggle for, you know, semi-parallel reasons uh, with this problem of, of how much to actually indulge. Mm -hmm. I have the whole semi-conscious memory of family immigrant struggle. Right. I remember I really wanted a scooter when I was, like, really young. Yeah, like a Razor scooter? Yeah, yeah, like something yeah. stupid. And my mom was like, we're here in the store. We can get you a scooter. And I was like, no, don't do it. <laughs> oh, no. I, that's too much of a burden. Oh, you poor little baby. She got me the fucking scooter. 
I was very into acting more mature than my brothers in order to secure my place as the favorite, which is very middle child behavior, I hear. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, but yeah, anytime my brothers were acting unreasonable, I would be like, this is my chance to be super reasonable as a performance to get love. Wow. Yeah. And I've kept that behavior to this very day. Wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> But anyway, the, the takeaway from this is I'm excited for the sandwich. Right. You know, one indulgence I get a lot that's really wonderful in my current relationship. What is that? My boyfriend is really consistently available to like get me a little thing from the store or get me something from the fridge and I don't want to get up. Just like little, the tiniest little favors that with many other people I wouldn't want to ask for because it would feel too indulgent to say, get me a seltzer from the fridge when the mm -hmm. fridge is like 10 feet away mm -hmm. that's oh, like yeah. feels almost rude in some contexts but with him it's just like he he's so available for that that i feel like i haven't gotten up to get myself a seltzer in like two fucking years and i really every time i make that ask i feel the indulgence coursing through my veins yeah it's it's like you get to taste what it's like to have a servant when you're in a relationship right. a little bit you also get to taste what it's like to be a servant too <laughs> yeah i get to taste all kinds of things in this relationship yeah yeah <sighs> my cat is uh chonk is sitting inside a shoebox right now peering over me at, at like a soldier in the trenches oh that's good <laughs> yeah it's very cute the animals are really surrounding the recording of the podcast this morning okay how are you hava did you already say how you are no, I don't think I did. Um, Baruch Hashem, I'm well. I um, have been playing a bunch of video games this morning, and that's been great. Just really uh, goblining out, um, which is one of my favorite things to do. Goblining out. Yeah, just to be like a little gremlin sitting in front of the TV oh, playing I see. video okay. games. You know. I thought you were referring to a game involving goblins. Oh, no. No goblins, sadly. That was an old DOS game back in the 90s. Just goblins? It was a point-and-click adventure. Oh, goblins. Goblins 1, 2, and 3. Oh, wow. Goblins Quest, Goblins 1, Goblins 2. Wow. Yep. This is looks like that classic shit. Man, people were really making some super weird art in this era of gaming. People were like really open to bizarre design aesthetics. I think that was a Lucas Studios thing really yeah when george lucas did video games in the 90s point and click right stuff. well luke lucas arts continued for a long time after that um oh no it looks like it was sierra oh really who are the people who made all the sim games um like um, sim ant and sim city sim ant is one i'm particularly obsessed with like there's only a certain era of gaming i mean we're back in that era now people release more weird games now but we went through a long, dark time in the early 2000s where people were trying to release very serious, gritty games. But in the 90s, in the Goofy Games era, there was this silly game called Sim Ant, where you were just simulating uh, being an ant in an ant farm. Having an ant farm. <laughs> that was the game. That's interesting. I remember I watched some early 2000s movie with Grunge Girl, and we were thinking about, like, wait, were all these movies more violent back then or more gritty or something? Mm -hmm. Were the early 2000s all about grit? I guess maybe. Definitely in video games, it was like a big time to make gritty, dark takes on things. Yeah, yeah. I feel like early 2000s was like the height of like 007 and that uh, kind of stuff. 
I have a soft spot in my heart for a golden eye. Anyway, been playing a bunch of video games this morning. It's been great. The dog is being adorable. I'll go take him on a walk after we record. Yeah, I'd say I'm I'm vibing. I'm party USA. Okay, we are gathered here today yep. to discuss Russian Doll Season 2. Yes. Episode 6, the penultimate episode. The penultimate episode, that is right. In the Russian Doll series. Here's how we open. We open with a pink title card. Last episode, we had blue. This episode, we got pink. Immediately, we get right to Nadia giving birth to herself as her mother. So the show has really cemented its themes and metaphors at this point. <laughs> I wrote down in my notes, has this whole damn show been labor? Like, has it, has this whole show been like the birth pangs of Nadia birthing herself? Um, that's a thought that occurred to me. Okay, yeah, that's a fun, fun idea. I, I'd say no. No. <laughs> okay. Um, kind of, though, I feel like. I don't know. This reminds me a little bit of what I'm going to bring later on and just reminds me of the Chabad approach to answering difficult questions. Which is? Just no. Yes. No. <laughs> yes. Great. So fucking uh, the subway, subway worker who um, helped her out before with a quarter is there. I don't know if you've realized this at this point in the episode, but the subway worker is Agnes, Allen's grandma. The subway worker is Agnes, Allen's grandmother. The person Allen is living as in Berlin. I'm trying to remember the subway worker. I mean, I guess it's been cameo appearances, but she gave Nadia... A quarter when she lost all her Krugerrands. Right, 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 right. And she's in this same scene standing on the edge of the crowd. Oh. While Nadia's giving birth. I didn't notice that. Yeah, that's what I was hinting at in the previous episode when I said a big reveal has happened if you have keen enough eyes oh, to notice it. Oh, that is so tricky. That mm -hmm. is so tricky. Mm-hmm. So more connections through time for Alan and um, Nadia. And the guardian angel guy is there to help her give birth. And then she births herself. Then she's in the fucking hospital and fucking Chez is there. Yes. Of fucking course being his Chez self. Mm -hmm. uh, her family is maybe trying to take the baby away from her. And Ruth is trying to like support nadia's mom in keeping the baby and they're like you're not family i wrote down she is family she's very family but yeah they're fighting over who's gonna take the baby basically and her grandma nadia's mom's mom is suddenly being all nice to nadia because she's plotting to take the baby basically and so nadia herself is like you know what i'll just escape baby escape Nadia ex Nadia and take the baby to the future. And she does it. <laughs> she succeeds. I didn't think that was going to work, but she brings baby herself to the future. We have a little flash to Berlin 1962, where Alan as Agnes is getting stopped by a very serious soldier guy when she's trying to go over to West Berlin to help her compadres get out and escape. And then that's all we get of that, which I just wrote down, like, there's less Alan in this season than I remember. I thought it was, like, roughly a 50-50 split of Alan and Nadia story in my head, but it's actually the huge preponderance of Nadia. That scene was an interesting addition. I thought about why was it 
added like what was mm-hmm. the significance like why was it in the middle of this flow of the, what nadia is yeah. doing nadia's running away with her baby self why is the right. scene here it's it's strange mm-hmm. it was a confusing little addition so then we're back to nadia she has been getting a ton of texts about ruth ruth had a pulmonary embolism and people are scared that ruth is gonna die so she brings herself and baby Nadia to the hospital. And when she gets there, she starts to see like Maxine is like coming in one door and out the other, like a bunch of different times are intersecting or she's hallucinating. It's not clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a bunch of timey wimey stuff basically from here here to, to the, the rest of the episode. Yeah. yeah, she's searching for Ruth. She meets a bunch of different versions of Ruth. Something she tries to tell several people is that it's her birthday today, which made me think of the line that Maxine used to always say to her at, at the beginning of season one, whenever she walks out of the bathroom, Maxine always says, sweet birthday, baby. Yeah, same thing that Delia says when Nadia gives birth to herself in the subway. Right. Okay, so this is another reason why I think this whole show has been labor pains, because... This episode is like, it is adult Nadia's birthday, and on her birthday, she gives birth to herself. You know, and the whole show is centered around her birthday, like ever, all of this always happens in a sort of vortex around her birthday. Well, it's like labor pains as a metaphor for life in general. Right. So, it's her birthday, she's trying to find Ruth, Lizzie, her other friend, is really good with baby Nadia, and that's very cute. Nadia freaks out. She goes down to the morgue and finds a morgue full of copies of herself. Yeah, from the times she died in the prior season, it seems like. So you have to wonder, has she been dead this whole time? Did she die at the end of season one? And this is all the afterlife. And then she goes and she finds an Alan. She realizes like, oh, fuck, because I died. Alan died spooky action at a distance we're linked yep. quantum mechanics yada yada and then alan gets on a train and ends up in the 80s where nadia usually is mm-hmm. and he goes to nadia's apartment because he immediately senses that something has been fucked up he goes to see Ferran, whose dad is at the corner store but his dad is actually dead and then there are like infinite cats yeah um, infinite cats nadia goes to alan's apartment they both end up in each other's bathrooms, which is where they always started their loops in season one. Mm-hmm. And then we get the opening from season one with the same opening song from season one, but it's Alan in the bathroom at Nadia's house. And he opens the door, and then there he and Nadia are together. And I wonder if they're seeing each other in the mirror, because they both start the loops in the mirror, and Nadia's in Alan's house, Alan is in Nadia's party from the first season. They're both looking in the mirror. It's all very... You get it. You get it. Yeah. You know, it's getting... The the psychedelia is intensifying and escalating. This is all just wind up for the next episode. Right. The finale. Yes. So what did you bring, Michael? Oh, just, whoa, what did I bring? Yeah. What have you brought for me? We'll start basic stuff first. Okay. The most basic is the following from Shabbat 110a. We're talking about different ways of getting rid of a snake that is actually in pursuit. A snake that is pursuing you. Bring four cats and let one tie them to the four legs of the bed and let one bring twigs and branches, throw them there so that when the cats... Hear the sound of the snakes crawling, they will eat it. Oh, guard cats. Guard cats. Just, that was inspired from the infinite cats. 
Oh, I was like, what the fuck connection does this have to the fucking episode? Very little. That's why I'm just knocking it out right now. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, it's the only... So far, it's the only Talmudic reference I can think of where there are, like, multiple cats in a single room Yeah, it may, on purpose. It may be the only actual Talmudic reference to multiple cats. It's the closest thing in the Talmud we have to Cats the Musical. It's the gathering of the... Je- it's the Jellicle Ball. Yeah, I mean, it's the closest justification for owning more than one cat. Yeah, true. Also, <laughs> I wonder what the situation was with cats in Talmud times. Like, were cats just around? Were there a ton of cats? Were there a few cats? Were there enough that you could easily gather four? Oh, uh, y- you know my opinion on this. I'm, I'm a cat maximalist. Outside. <laughs> right. I'm a cat man. We've talked I'm a about cat this. Man. In the future utopia, cats will be like squirrels, but they'll all be taken care of. God. Yeah. I'm in. I'm ready. Take me there. Other countries, they have like cat problems. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this is not a cat problem. This is a cat solution. Right. This is a cat blessing. This is a way for cats to contribute to society. Although I've never had a snake that was in pursuit of me. Yeah. A snake in hot pursuit. So I can't think of an instance in which I would have needed to use this. Snakes in general, I feel like, tend to be pretty. They don't really go after. Like, they'll fuck up humans, but they're not like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to seek out a human and I'm going to follow him around. (laughs) Yeah, it's a very persistent snake. I'm going to wait till they go to sleep. And then I'm going to get them. Maybe it was a common problem for people to see snakes and then be worried that the snakes were going to come back later. I mean, I wonder what the poisonous snake situation was like in uh, in the Babylonian area. and Right. The Babylonian metro area. So that's the first thing I brought. Just a little thing. Right. So now I'm going to volley it back to you. What oh, did you bring? Okay. Okay. Sort of relevant. So I brought uh, a little bit about birth because I was thinking about birth and then I was thinking about Bereshit 316. And the woman, God said regarding her, I will greatly increase your hard labor and your pregnancies. In hardship, you shall bear children. And yet your urge shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So I was like, well, that's whack, <laughs> first of all. And so then I brought this whack piece of Talmud from Erevin 100b. Rav Yitzchak Bar of Dimi proceeds to explain this verse. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply. These are the two drops of blood unique to a woman which cause her suffering, one the blood of menstruation and the other the blood of virginity. Your pain, this is the pain of raising children, and your travail, this is the pain of pregnancy. In sorrow, you shall bring forth children in accordance with its plain meaning, aka the pain of childbirth. And yet your desire shall be for your husband teaches that the woman desires her husband when he leaves on a journey. And he shall rule over you teaches that the woman demands her husband in her heart, but is too shy to voice her desire. Oh. But that the man basically like says he wants to fuck verbally. Rav Yitzchak Baravdimi adds, this is a good trait in women that they refrain from formulating their desire verbally. Apparently, it is improper for a woman to demand her conjugal rights from her husband. The Gemara answers, when we say that a woman who demands her conjugal rights from her husband is praiseworthy, it does not mean she should voice her desires explicitly. Rather, it means that she should make herself pleasing to him and he will understand what she wants on his own. So basically, the Talmud is like, 
we encourage women passive aggressively expressing their sexual desires. Okay. Or it's saying like, we are going to like nerdily try to dissect how of one form of flirting works. Right. We're going to try to figure out what our wives are doing because <laughs> we don't understand our wives. So this whole drash by Rav Yitzchak Baravdimi goes through all this effort to sort of talk about what your desire shall be for your husband, yet he shall rule over you is supposed to mean. Mm -hmm. And Yitzchak Baravdimi is like, well, that's, you know, because of like basically women are horny but too shy to talk about it, which I would like to suggest to uh, Rav Yitzchak Baravdimi that that's uh, a function of the patriarchy, obviously. And I feel like the verse is like easily explicitly read as talking about the patriarchy. Like the curse here is like for women who are interested in men, like your desire shall be for your husband and yet he shall rule over you. Like yet you shall be entrapped in a societal system that fucks with your relationship and that makes desiring men like uh, often incredibly painful and full of travail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying, but we both agree that the current state of the men are from Mars, women are from Venus situation is not good. But you're saying <laughs> we need the women to become more like the men and just be like i'm horny i'm horny i'm horny right i'm i'm not i'm not offering a prescription for what we should do i am merely interpreting the torah verse as naming the complications of people who are desirous of people who have structural power over them well you're adding an opinion which is that you don't think that it's a good trait for the women to be all coy. I don't think it's a good trait for women to feel that they can't voice their desires. I think it is a good trait that they feel like they can't. And I think the men should well, also feel like, so. no, no, no. <laughs> the men should also feel like they can't. Everyone should be coy. Right. Everyone should just be sitting around horny and sad, not talking to each other, making podcasts instead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. There you have it, people. Michael's prescription for society. Just repress all of uh, your desires, emotions, I do not this feelings. Just, just <laughs> shove it all down. I'm canceling you. I'm canceling you live on air. Oh. <sighs> michael okay all right no, just because you have done that i'm not making any claims that this is what i do at all it's what you wish you did though i just think that it would really help everyone if we all i've never thought to myself gosh i wish michael were just more repressed <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh. Okay, Michael, it's your turn. Okay, you went, you attached to the whole labor metaphor. Right, and you attached to the cats. Yes, but also I attached... Well, the cats were attached to the bed, which you were attached to. Yes, under the sheets. <laughs> right, surrounded by sticks. Trying to take my id and bury it deep, deep, right. deep in a box. Deep inside, so lying next to your husband, pining passionately. Yeah, yes. not saying anything. Mm -hmm. Just as God intended. God wants the world to be like a Jane Austen novel. Like a fucking Pride and Prejudice situation of people just like being very British to each other about everything. <laughs> That's the punishment we all deserve. Right. You want to live in a world where everyone is sitting quietly, hornily in their living rooms as you are now. 
but just surrounded by cats. Yeah, kind of. You know, if it gets me to the cat paradise, I'll take it. Anyway, back to whatever the fuck you were going to bring. Oh, okay. All right, all right. Well, I was thinking about the whole multiverse thing, because I feel like... Oh, right. And this, you know, so I kind of went there. So I have a couple of... Your, I know. I The multiverse... No, I mean, the multiverses are just like a really common theme on our show. We love them. I know, I know. We, we love, love them, them. We love to hate them. Why do I associate multiverses with the most odious tech bros? in the world is that a thing i think it's a thing i don't think multiverses are exclusively the purview of odious tech bros but i don't know i've had the multiverse explained to me by several very stoned bros uh and i'm sure many in our audience have had that same experience yeah some of you are probably those some of you are bros stonedly explaining this to your girlfriends right now while they pine with repressed desire (laughs) Yeah. Well, now, Hava, <laughs> it's your turn to pine with repressed desire to shut God, me up. Thank God. I can finally fulfill the mitzvah to pine with repressed desire. Let wow, me... this is very lesbian. <laughs> Let me tell Just you. Just fucking yearn. Yearning only. Hey, woman, shut up. I'm trying to tell you about the Jewish multiverse. <laughs> okay, go ahead. All right. Okay, okay, okay. There is a book, Hava. I will now tell you about this book. It's called Hi Yom Yom. It is a book that was compiled by the Chabad folks, our okay. lovely cousins. Our lovely arms. friends at Chabad Incorporated. So Hayom Yom was compiled by Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, actually. Got it. The Rabbi himself. And he may have been told to make it by his uh, father-in-law. I'm not sure. He was like assigned homework. I don't know. But it gives some aphorisms for every day of the year. Oh, okay. Which is kind of neat. A Jewish book of days. A Jewish book of days. and It's very Christian. (laughs) Yeah, maybe it is. I don't know. I was thinking before this episode that Chabad is kind of Christian. Yeah, I mean, Chabad, I would say, is the most Christian Judaism. That's still Judaism. Because it's like what I was saying. Like, you ask them a metaphysical question, and they're like, yes, no. And like, here's the evidence for it. I was thinking of the proselytizing. Oh, well, yeah, there's that. There's that. Anyway, you go on. Okay, so Hayom for Tishrei 29. A resident of Mezbuz, or Mezibuz, had a quarrel with one another. So two residents of this town had a quarrel with one another. Once, while... In the Baal Shem Tom's shul, he shouted that he would tear the other fellow to pieces like a fish. The Baal Shem Tov took his pupils to hold one another's hand and to stand near him with their eyes closed. Then he placed his holy hands on the shoulders of the two disciples next to him. Suddenly, the disciples began shouting in great terror. They had seen that fellow actually dismembering his disputant. This incident shows clearly that every potential has an effect, either in physical form or on a spiritual plane, that can be perceived only with higher and more refined senses. So, two people were fighting. One of them said, I'm going to fuck you up. Mm. The Baal Shem Tov put his hand on their shoulder and allowed them to see what was going on in the psychic plane. As a result of their fight. Yes, but not on their shoulders, on just his pupils' shoulders. Like, they were observing some people fighting 
and then... Oh, okay. I thought it was his pupils who were fighting. No, no, no. Got it. Wow. This is kind of obnoxious thing for the Baal Shem Tov to do. <laughs> to be like, you see those two losers over there? Well, this is what they're doing in a plane which they are fundamentally incapable of perceiving. So, check that out. It would have been maybe nice for Mr. Tov to go and, you know, talk to these people directly and tell them about their metaphysical right. situation. I mean, Baal Shem Tov does a lot of cool stuff, but yeah, sure. this one's yeah. a little... Yeah. So you brought this because it's like talking about basically like everything that can happen is happening. Yeah, everything that can happen is happening. Like maybe there is this pair of the universe where the guy is, you know, ripping this guy apart. But, you know, more practically, your words have an effect. There's a little bit of a kind of a karma aspect, like ripple effect of everything, your actions and intentions and words all right. have some sort of effect on the universe. An author I really enjoy, Neil Stevenson, who's has his problems, but in one of his books, he explores the possibility that like creative ideas are only possible because perhaps our brains get a little bit of feedback from parallel universes in which Whoa. something else was done. And that's how we're able to have novel ideas basically is because there's like an incredibly small amount of feedback that our brains perhaps subconsciously are capable of perceiving from universes where things are other than they are whoa whoa yeah it's kind of a neat thing to play with i know i don't think he made it up i think he like got it from some philosopher or mathematician or something because that's what he does in his books often is he takes real science ideas and puts them in science fiction but I don't have the book on my shelf right now, so I can't pull out the citation. That's what this made me think of, basically. And that's like how our faculty of imagination works. When we imagine something, we are like perceiving something that actually is because Real. our brain exists across multiple universes. Hmm, and the multiverse is God or something like that. I don't know. No, no, yeah, no. I don't know if there's a place for God in this explanation, but I just it's just an idea that I thought of that this reminded me of. And definitely feels like it's happening in Russian Doll. We see all the parallel universes brought together, you know? And it feels like the rhetorical structure of the Talmud sort of encourages this kind of thinking because oftentimes the Talmud brings all kinds of contradictory ideas and just sort of like leaves them in a pile on the table <laughs> for us, hmm. you know? Yeah. Oftentimes things both are and aren't various halachic statuses at the same time, depending on context. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Oh, my brain, it's going in a lot of directions now. <laughs> Into other universes. Into other universes. Just like four cats tied to a bed, your brain is tied to this podcast. Yeah, I, I think there is something interesting about moral truth that can't easily be conveyed. I mean, I think we both believe in moral truths mm -hmm. is a thing. It's real. Right. There's like stuff that's less moral, more moral. But there's something about like you can't have one sentence to describe what is good or bad mm -hmm. you can always find edge cases that don't fit and there's something about right. that goodness that feels like it can't be contained or summarized with the substance that's available to us in this universe or at least the language that's available to us in this universe and it seems like mm -hmm. it exists outside of it or it must exist it must there must be some other explanation that can't be summed up in 
with the tools we have available. I don't know. I'm just going off in a freaky direction with this. Freaky. Freaky yeah, direction. Yeah, hey, I'm into it. I'm into a freaky direction. I don't have, like, a response. I basically agree with what you said. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, moral truths do seem to be transcendent. That is, from my perspective, how the universe seems to work. Why? I'm not sure why you know, it got set up that way. I don't even think, though, transcendence can be held completely with multiple universes yeah i mean i think we're in my mind we're getting back to something we talked about early on in the russian doll series which was the idea of god both being in the universe and containing the universe yeah yeah which is mirrored by the idea of self-pregnancy in russian doll and basically if we substitute the word god for moral truth which is often what's happening in my head I think like moral truths both sort of contain the universe and also inhere it. That reminds me a lot of there's this concept in math of different sizes of infinity. Mm -hmm. And there's like ways of defining the magnitude of different infinite sets of numbers. Like the real Whoa. numbers are natural numbers. And mm -hmm. you can, depending on how you define these things, you can make arguments that say like there's as many even numbers as there are odd numbers there's as many even numbers as there are uh, countable numbers like one two three mm -hmm. four five six seven there's a one-to-one -one mapping there are more real numbers than there are countable integers so it just reminds me of that that there's different magnitudes of infinity and different infinities can be much larger and some infinities are more equal than others yeah kind of yeah basically <laughs> But that's a multiverse thing. I also, in this journey of figuring out if there's other worlds, went into mm -hmm. like a Jewish takes on aliens on other planets. Oh, great. Yeah. Did you find anything juicy? Oh, so many juicy things. There's a quite a long history of Jews talking about the possibility of life on other planets. And the consensus uh -huh. is yes. Even as great. early as the Middle Ages, people are like, oh, yeah, there could be like people on other worlds. Yeah. It's totally cool. They might have their own Torah. There's an argument that Chabad puts out that they say, yeah, yeah, there could be totally life on other planets, but we know that if it's life like humans, they would have to have the Torah, but there's only one Torah. Mm -hmm. So they have this convoluted way of reasoning that there's actually life out there or could be life out there, but it wouldn't have free will or it wouldn't have consciousness in the same way that humans do. Interesting. Yeah, so there's like a lot. Definitely life. It's a thing. It could be out there, totally compatible with mainstream Jewish discourse over the last at least 500 years or so. Well, you heard it here first, folks. The truth is out there. Truth is out there. I think this is a good place to wrap up this episode. Yep. It's been a juicy one. It's been a lovely one. It's been four cats tied to a bed, yearning with suppressed desire of one. <laughs> For snakes. For snakes. <laughs> For snakes. If only that snake would come over here. I just so want I could to eat, eat it all up. I could just eat him up. Thank you all for tuning in to our bullshit. Thank you all for supporting us. If you would like to support us, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash hi, how are you? That is how we're continuing to make this very silly show, which we love to make and we hope to continue to make for you for a long time to come. So thank you all. We love you very much. And Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov.